Praise God. Well, grab the hand of somebody next to you. Give them a good shake. Look them right in the eye and say, you're in the right place this morning. God's going to be good to you because He loves you. You're His favorite child. Amen. You believe that, don't you? Hallelujah. Well, if you're taking notes or paying attention, open your Bibles to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. And uh, I'm, I'm going to talk to you this morning about how to recover yourself from past failures and mistakes. You know, all of us make, fa- all of us fail, all of us sin, all of us make mistakes. Christianity is not about right or wrong. Some people think it is, but it's not. It's not about right or wrong at all. It's about life and death. It's about choices that you make. Amen. It's about trusting and believing God. That's what it's about. God doesn't love you because you're right. God loved you when you were a sinner. And His love does not stop for you now that you're a saint that is sin. Amen. Come on now. See, if you think Christianity is about right or wrong, if you think God can only love you when you're right and you're doing right, then you'll end up being contentious. You'll end up being an argumentative Christian. Amen. Anybody here? This one? And I know this doesn't really apply to anybody here. This is for the people that should have come this morning. No. God loves us and accepts us just the way we are. Now the wonderful thing about His love is that it will not leave us the way we are. Amen. You know, I, I preach all over the world about the love and the goodness, the acceptance that God has for us. You know, some people come up and, you know, when they find out, you know, that God's this good and this merciful and this kind, they come and they say, oh, you know, Brother Ed, you know, you're going to give people a license of sin if you keep preaching that. And I say, look, folks have been sinning long enough without a license. You don't need a license. Amen. And besides that, if hearing a message on how much God loves you, how good and merciful, how gracious He is to you, if after hearing that kind of message you want to go off in sin, there's nothing wrong with the message, just something wrong with your heart. Amen. God, the Apostle Paul said that, you know, should He not preach grace? You know, so sin abounds. He said, God forbid. Yeah, some people will take advantage of it, but most people will use it to access the presence of God, get the mercy and the help that they need. Glory to God. Amen. And so we all fail. We all make mistakes. We all have struggles. Paul writes in the third chapter at Ephesus to the church at Ephesus, and he says, you're, you're positioned in the love of God. He says, you're grounded and rooted in the love of God so that when you look up, you see how much He loves you. When you look down, you see how much He loves you. When you look around, you see how much He loves you. God, Paul's telling the church, get so established in the love of God that you become conscious of His presence. Amen. Now, he said that to a group of people that lived in one of the most wicked and perverted cities of the day. I mean, in Ephesus, one of the biggest religions in Ephesus was the worship of Diana. And people came to worship Diana. And you know how they came to worship Diana? They came to church or they came to their temple, took their clothes off, and everybody had sex with one another. That was the worship of Diana. Now, you know nobody was late for that church service. Come on, hurry, hurry. I don't have to sit in the back with those ugly people. Come, 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 come. And so the church in Ephesus was between twenty and 60,000 and Paul writes them and tells them how much God loves them. Why? Because the gospel is not about your past. It's about your future. It's about your destiny. God does not hold your past failures against you. 
Watch this, Psalm 103, verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Hallelujah! You know, most Christians, I mean a lot of Christians, and they think, oh, God's dealing with me according to my sin. No, He's not. I just read the Scripture, He's not. If He was, you'd be dead. Because the wages of sin is death. You'd be a pile of ash. So He's not dealing with you according to your sins. He's dealing with you according to His love, according to His grace, according to His mercy. And that is what gets you out of your sin. Recently I saw an interview of a basketball, a wonderful basketball player, a very successful basketball player. And they asked him, they said, you know, what was it that made you great? You know, is there anything that you can point to that changed your development? He said, well, you know, when he was in high school, he always wanted to play basketball. And there was a certain college he wanted to play for. And he never got a scholarship to go play for that college. So he went and tried out. He was a walk-on. And the coach recognized his potential. Coach realized, man, this kid's got greatness. And the coach worked with him and eventually he earned a scholarship and became a, a, a star player on the basketball team for that college team. And, and one of the things that he noticed his coach would do, whenever he would take a, a, take a shot or have a bad game or, or miss the winning shot, you know, and, and just blow the game, his coach was the first one off the bench putting his arm around him to encourage him and tell him, it's alright, it's alright, you know, don't, don't worry about it, put it behind you, you're a great player, you're going to be a great player, don't worry, you just made a mistake, don't worry about it, I know the potential you had. And the coach just encouraged him and encouraged him and encouraged him. Then he noticed that whenever he would make the game-winning shot and he would do something and have an outstanding game and win the game, he noticed his coach never came up to congratulate him, his coach never slapped him on the back and said, what a game, and all year this puzzled this player. And so, at the end of the year, he went to the coach and he said, Coach, how come whenever I blow it, I make a mistake, you're the first one off the bench, you're there to encourage me, you're there to lift me up, you're there to help me, but whenever I do something great, you never say anything, you never congratulate me. And the coach says, Look, my son, you don't need me when you've done something great. You know you've done it. Everybody knows that you've done it. They're shouting your praises, they're shouting your name. You need me when you failed. And I thought to myself... Isn't God just like that? Isn't that just like God? But see, most of us, if we don't understand what, who God is and what God is like, you're not going to have that kind of relationship with Him. You're just not. You know, for years, see, I grew up, and I used to hear this all the time, faith touches God. You want to touch God, get some faith. Faith touches God. Then I read in the Bible that God is touched by the feelings of my infirmities. Ooh, got awful quiet, didn't it? Awful quiet, huh? Amen. See, if you just think the only way you ever touch God is that you come to Him, you don't know Him. You don't know Him at all. He's touched by the feelings of our infirmities. Paul said, when I'm weak, He's strong. When I'm weak, He's strong. See, most of us think we got to be strong to come to Him. No. Uh-uh. uh uh-uh. He'll take you any way you want to come. He'll take you any way you want to come. I recently heard a story. Uh, took place in Southern California. A little six-year-old girl raised in a very violent, violent household. Her parents were alcoholics and drug addicts. And, and one night, they got to drinking. They got to fighting, screaming, and, and just fighting real bad and hating one another. They each pulled out a gun. And in front of their daughter, Mama shot Daddy and Daddy shot Mama. And mom and daddy died in front of their six-year-old daughter. 
I mean, no girl, no little girl, anybody needs to, needs to see that. A man down the street who was a Christian took her in and took care of her. The following Sunday, he brought her to church. He brought her into Sunday school. He said to the Sunday school teacher, he said, now, this little girl last week just lost her parents. You know, saw, saw her parents killed in front of her. She's still in a state of shock and she's, a, you know, she's still kind of overcoming it. But, you know, she wasn't raised in a Christian household. She has never, ever been in church. So please watch her carefully because she, she really probably doesn't know how to act. And the Sunday school teacher said, we'll keep an eye on her. Yeah, we'll watch her. We'll, we'll keep an eye on her. Well, during the Sunday school lesson, the Sunday school teacher took out one of these famous pictures, you know, a rendition of what they think Jesus might have looked like. And he held the picture up to the class. He says, does anybody know who this is? And the first hand that went up was that little girl. And the Sunday school teacher was real puzzled. He thought, well, you know, she's never been to church. Or her parents aren't Christian. How in the world would she know who that is? And the curiosity got the best of it. He said, yes, little girl, do you know who this is? And she, she stood up. She says, well, I don't know what his name is, but when my mommy and daddy were dying, he came and he held me. And you think you have to touch God? Let me tell you something. God's touching you way before you ever touch Him. That's why Christians are always confused. You'll hear Christians all the time say, I found the Lord. He wasn't lost. He wasn't lost. Amen. He commanded His love towards you when you were a sinner. He was being good to you when you were a sinner. You didn't even know about it, did you? Amen. Jesus said that God is kind to the evil and the wicked and the unthankful. Ooh, that challenges some people's theology. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 that God reigns, which is blessing, on the just and the unjust. Ooh. Paul said that, do you not know that it's the goodness and the kindness of God that will bring a person to repentance? Jesus gave Peter a boatload of fish and he fell down on his knees. He said, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. Amen. See, if you don't get a true picture of what God's like, I'm going to tell you right now, you won't have faith. I'll be right honest with you. You won't. Paul said that we should abide. He said, abide, live, exist in faith, hope, and love. He said, but the greatest of these is love. Greatest of these is love. Let me tell you this. Faith and hope alone will never produce love, but love every time will produce faith and hope. Every time. Faith, faith will act like it, hope will envision it, and dream it, and expect it, but knowing God's love for you is what guarantees it comes to pass. Amen. <laughs> oh, brother, I've got faith. Where, how do you get faith? Well, you get faith... The Bible says, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. No, that's not how you get faith. That's how it comes. Just as it comes doesn't mean you get it. It comes. It comes. But not everybody gets it. You get it when you believe it. That's when you get it. Ah, my brother, the Bible says, just, just, you know, faith coming by hearing the Word. Well, what kind of Word are you going to hear? The Word of God. <laughs> no. Because not just any Word of God will give you faith. Not just any Word. 
There's a, speci- there's a specific word that that, that, that Scripture is talking about. Not just any word. I'll prove it to you. You ready? The Bible says Judas went and hanged himself. Okay, how many people now have faith to go out and hang themselves? There you go. Got you right there. See? No one's feeling like going out to hang themselves, but it says Judas did it. He was a disciple. Are you with me? Not just any word from God is going to give you faith. Verse 16 tells us what is it in the Word of God that gives us faith. And that, verse 16, talks about the Gospel. It's good news. Only good news gives you faith. Jesus said He was anointed to preach good news. Now watch this. This is important. You get a hold of this. Change your life. God anoints you to preach good news. He does not anoint bad news. There's no anointing on bad news. Bad news does not set you free. Bad news does not open the eyes of the blind. Bad news will not heal your heart. Only good news will do that. Amen. And if you want to be anointed, then preach good news. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Are you with me? See, Jesus was a good news preacher. He preached good news. Why do you think people wandered into a desert, forgetting to bring water, forgetting to bring food, so far into the desert, hanging on every word he had to say? Because he was preaching good news. If he was preaching bad news, they never would have followed him. They wouldn't have gone to listen to that. They'd been beat up, beat up enough by the Pharisees. They'd been judged and condemned enough by the Pharisees. They didn't need any more of that. They needed something that could change their heart because they couldn't change their life. They need to know that God could do it. Amen. Hallelujah. See, when you understand your Proverbs 16 verse 6 says, Love, mercy, and and truth purges a heart of iniquity. You you can't get sin out of your heart without a revelation, the unconditional love of God. Without a revelation that God will treat you better than you deserve. Without a revelation that God is a good God. You'll never get your heart, you'll never get your life changed. You'll never get anybody else out of sin. Hebrews 4.16 says, We come with boldness and confidence to the throne of grace, and we obtain grace, mercy, and help in the time of need. But most Christians, when they sin, when they fall, when they have failed, they don't have any boldness, they don't have any confidence to come to God. They feel ashamed. Oh, he's upset. He's mad. Oh, I can't go now. I've blown it. I've messed up. Oh, 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 I just can't come. You know, and you'll stay away. And the problem is, is your condition will get worse. I don't understand, but throughout the Bible, it seems like when people sin, God came looking for them. Amen. I mean, He wanted to reestablish a relationship. How can we clean this mess up? You can't, but I can if you let me. Amen. But see, Christians, they, they lose their confidence. They, they feel like, oh, God can't bless me. Oh, God can't help me. Oh, God doesn't love me. Oh, I failed. And maybe after a couple of weeks, you know, you've done some good things and you start creeping back to God. Oh, Lord, you know, I, I've been going to prayer meeting. Oh, I've been paying all my tithes and my offerings. you got to like that. Amen. Yeah, here's a sidetrack. This is going to bless you. Just listen to me real carefully. I believe in paying tithes. I believe in paying offerings. I, no problem with that. No problem. God loves a cheerful giver. No problem with that. Are you with me? But you know why? The Bible promises, you know, there's abundance. When does heaven? Abundance that comes when you obey that. Do you know that? But do you know most Christians have been paying their tithes for years and still don't have an abundance? Now why is that? I'll tell you exactly why it is. Because the wrong image they have of God. 
Sometimes they think they read Malachi 3 or someone told them, you don't give, pay your tithes. You'd be cursed with the curse. Well, listen, not, that's not true for a New Testament Christian. We have been redeemed from the curse. You're not going to be cursed. Who's going to curse you? God's not going to curse you. And the devil can't. Duh! The Bible says what God has blessed, no one can curse it. And Bible says in Christ, we've been blessed with everything that pertains to life and godliness. But you know why you're not seeing the opportunities for abundance? Because you don't see God as your heavenly Father. You see God as the Godfather. You see God saying, you give me a 10%. You give me a 10%. If you don't, I'm going to send a Gabriel and he's going to break your knees. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, our tithe is protection money. Here, God, take it, take it. Don't hurt me, don't hurt me, don't kill my kids. Take it, take it, leave me alone. Well, if that is how you've been paying your tithes, repent! Just repent. I'm probably the first preacher ever told you to repent of paying a tithe. Now don't go ask the preacher for it back. Don't go to Theo and say, I realize for the past 20 years I've been given with the wrong motive. Can I have it back and start over again? Because the pastor spent it with the right motive. Amen. It says that God loves a cheerful giver. He gets no pleasure out of a fearful giver. I'm really enjoying myself this morning. I, I think I'm... I'm having a good time. I, I tell you, I, let me tell you something. Whenever I preach, I always bless myself. I mean, I, there'll be revival in my heart whether anybody else is or not. I'm going to have a good time. Hallelujah. So God says right there in the Old Testament, I'm not going to reward you according to your sins or iniquities. I'm not going to hold them against you. I was preaching a number of years ago to a church in the East Cape. And they said, you know, this pastor said, you need to meet this lady. She's a prophetess. She can look at you and tell you what your sins are. I thought, give me a break. I mean, I know what my sins are. I'm trying to forget them like God. I don't need any help. And before I realized it, this came out of my mouth. I said, she's not of God. And this pastor looked at me and said, how dare you? How can you say that? I said, well, my heavenly father says he's taken my sins as far as the east is to the west and he's thrown them in the sea of forgetfulness. If you ever go there, there's a sign, big one, that says no fishing. In Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12, it says, it says that he's gracious to my sins and my iniquities. Will he remember no more? Amen! Glory! So, so if this lady can tell me what my sins are, my heavenly Father didn't tell her. Because he doesn't remember. My brother Jesus does exactly what his dad does, so he didn't tell her. And I've read the Bible. The Holy Ghost is not called the gossip, so he didn't tell her. So that can leave only one other person who could have told her. Two if you're married, but my wife is very discreet. She's listening to the accuser of the brethren. That doesn't make her spiritual. That's just old Pentecostal witchcraft. Amen. 
and I don't care how accurate she is. God didn't tell her. Besides that, if you understand the ministry of Jesus, and Jesus said, when you see me, you see the Father. You know, Jesus, He wasn't concerned about the past of people. He was concerned about their future because that's what the gospel is about. At the cross, your past is forgiven. Past, present, and future. Your sins have already been forgiven you. Amen. It's about your future. Look at the thief hanging on the cross. This guy's hanging on the cross. He's got maybe an hour, a couple hours left to live. He's being judged. He's being punished. I mean, he's dying for his sins. I mean, he's, he, he's never done anything good. I mean, he's getting what he deserves. He looks to Jesus. He said, you know, could you do me a favor? When you get to heaven, would you just remember me? I mean, he never expected to go to heaven. He, the most he hoped for is he'd be taken as a memory. And Jesus smiled at him and says, I'll do better than that. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. You know, people, people were, were, were looking by, they were walking by the cross, and they were puzzled. They're stopping people, the, the thief next to Jesus. Is it my imagination, or is that guy smiling? I mean, he can't be smiling. They put the nails in his hands and, and the nails in his feet. He can't be smiling. When I get to heaven, I'm checking the video out. I'm going to see for myself. smiling. He's hanging on the cross. He's probably, you know, wiggling, trying to get the blood out sooner. Got a one-way ticket to paradise. Probably teasing the Roman guards. Hit me! Hit me! Now, now, here's my point. What did he do to earn the right to go to heaven? He never joined the church. He never got water baptized. I mean, Jesus might have spit on him a little bit. You know, I baptized him in Jesus. He never gave an offering because he couldn't reach his pockets. He never won anybody to the Lord. Never won one person to the Lord. See, if you don't understand the nature of God and the character of God, amen, some of you are so wrapped up in rules and legalism because you don't know God. You are. You're trying to get something God already gave you. You're trying like the critical of the brother of the prodigal son. You know all the laws. You know all the commandments. You just don't know who he, your father is. I meet Christians all the time. Now, don't misunderstand me. I believe in confession. But I meet Christians all the time. You know? They're confessing, 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 trying to get God to do something that you can confess till the cows come home. God ain't doing nothing. Your confession doesn't get God to do anything. Your confession convinces your heart He's already done it for you. That's what confession does. My kids don't wake up in the morning and say, We believe we received breakfast this morning. We believe we received breakfast this morning. Oh, we believe. Fruit Loops, I confess. Fruit Loops, we're going to have Fruit Loops. We're going to have Fruit Loops. I believe I received Fruit Loops, Fruit Loops, Fruit Loops, Fruit Loops. And I don't lay in bed with my wife and say, how many times has Eddie confessed? And my wife says, well, he's confessed about a hundred. Okay, when he gets to do, when he does 50 more, go out and feed him. Come on now. Amen. Some of you are going to, you're so tired, you're confessing, you're giving. You are so tired. Oh, I've confessed. 
I've confessed. I have given. Ah! And you come to the pastor. Help me. Help me. Help me. I'm doing everything. And the pastor says, having done all to do, having done all, stand! And you're saying, you don't understand, I can't stand anymore. You haven't got it yet. Watch this. You'll, you'll get it after this. If you don't, well, then we'll just comfort the feeble-minded. Here's my friend Steve. Oh, I've really messed myself up, haven't I? No, it's gone. The mic. I was in East London. You know, I'm going to tell you the, the kind of friends I have that work for me. I was in East London, and I was preaching. Okay? And, and I kind of preach aggressively. And I'm preaching... And just having a good old time preaching. And I got my jacket button, like this, you know, trying to hide something. <laughs> you know what the difference between a boyfriend and a husband is? 30 pounds. <laughs> That's all. So, and my shirt at the bottom is spread open. Okay? And I'm preaching and going at it. And you can see my belly button, my stomach hanging right open. And TBN is there to record this and put this on television. And all my friends are sitting on the front row and not one of them tells me. Until after the service. You know, I'm going to tell you right now, God loves me with my belly and all. I'm going to tell you right now. Now watch. Oh, I got. I'm down here for a reason. Here's my buddy Steve. Okay. Let's say I don't know Beth. I'm still trying to figure her out. But say, say I don't know Beth. And say Bev comes to Steve and says, you know, Steve is away, and I'm going to go deep sea fishing. I got a chance to do some deep sea fishing down in the Cape. But you know, I don't have any fishing equipment. I really want to go fishing this weekend. And so Steve happens to mention to me. I got a friend named Bev, and, you know, she's got a great opportunity to go deep sea fishing, but, you know, she doesn't have any fishing equipment. So I say to Steve, Steve, look, I got so much fishing equipment, I don't know what to do with it. It's all hanging in my garage. Tell Bev she can come into my garage, take whatever she needs, and she can enjoy her trip. So Steve says, I got a friend named Ed, but she doesn't know Ed. And he said, if you want, come into his garage, here's his address, take the fishing equipment, and enjoy the weekend. But you know what? Bev isn't coming over to my house to walk into my garage to take anything that belongs to me, even though she has the promise. She's got the promise. I, and the promise may initially excite her. Oh, wow. Oh, this is great. But you know what? You know what stops her from receiving the promise? Is she doesn't know who gave it. She doesn't know who gave it. 
But if Steve introduces us and we get to know each other and she hears me tell her the promise, not a problem. She's in my garage. Amen? And see, if you, if all you do, is all you do is you think you've got to find a promise. You find a promise and confess it and confess it and confess it and confess it and confess it. All you're trying to do is brainwash yourself. And you know what? Let me tell you something. Please, I, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing faith. I'm just saying this. You will end up being mad, angry, and bitter, and you will leave this church, and you will tell people that faith stuff doesn't work. And you know what? You're not lying. It didn't work for you. You're telling the truth. You're telling the absolute truth. It did not work for you. The reason it didn't work for you is because you had missing ingredients, and that's why it didn't work for you. You had faith and hope, but you didn't understand love and who the Father was. Amen. Amen. See, some of you, you have no confidence in God because you say, well, Brother Ed, you know, you don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know what I'm struggling with. I've got this problem. I've got that problem. You know, you know, you know, everything's not right, you know. Some of you still trying to get your ducks in a row. When I get my ducks in a row, forget, you'll never get your ducks in a row. Shoot them, eat them. You will never, ever get your ducks in a row. It is not going to happen. Amen. Paul says it this way. He said, there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. Well, I don't know about you, but I believe the word nothing means nothing. Oh, but Brother Ed, I have always heard that sin will separate me. Well, then Paul lied. Amen. No, sin doesn't separate you. It doesn't separate... Matter of fact, let me tell you something. That's when you need God the most. He commands His love to you while you are a sinner. Why would He, why would he separate Himself from you? Now see, you don't understand the love of God. He'll still be good to you while you're struggling. He'll still help you while you're struggling. And He has been, whether you realize it or not. You know, in America, right at the end of the Vietnam War, there was a man, and he'd been away for about four years. And he, he, uh, he came back to America, and he called his dad, and his dad, they, they hadn't seen each other in about four years, because he, he'd been in Vietnam, did his two years, relisted again, did two years. And he said, Dad, uh, I'm here in the States. I'm, I'm ready to come home. And the father was excited. He said, oh, son, wonderful. We missed you. We can't wait. We haven't heard from you in a long time. Just come on home, son. We can't wait to see you. He said, well, Dad, i got a friend with me. And, and, and the father said, bring your friend. Man, that's great. Bring your friend. He said, well, Dad, you, you don't really understand. Also on the phone. And the father said, look, son, the government has programs for those people. Let the government take care of those people. Because we, don't, we, we, we really don't want to deal with that at our house. But the government, they got special programs and, and hospitals and, and people that know how to deal with that. Let the government deal with that. And so they said their goodbyes. The following morning, a police car comes up to the man's house and asks him, do you have a son named so-and-so? And they said, he said, yes, would you come with me? And they took him to the morgue. And they said, your son jumped off the building last night and committed suicide. We need you to identify this is your son. And they pulled back the sheet, and yes, it was his son, but there was a missing arm and a missing leg. Now listen to me. That father was communicating to his son, I can only accept you if you're perfect and you're whole. Now hear my heart. God accepts you just as you are just as you are. I don't care if you're not whole. I don't care what problems you have. I don't care what you've gone through in life. I don't care. He accepts you 
just as you are. And, and you can't clean yourself up. He does it for you. Are you with me? Amen. I was flying from uh, Swansea a couple of years ago. I was flying from Swansea and we did a conference in Swansea and flying back to Joburg. And it's early in the morning because it's about 7.30 in the morning. And, uh, you know, getting on the flight, in, on the plane to fly and, and, and there was a seat, you know, here and, and, and a seat, you know, right in, in, in the middle of us, you know, and there's this other guy. And I don't really like to tell people that I'm a preacher. I mean, I really don't because when you start telling people you're a preacher, it's like spiritual arthritis sets in. They, they, you know, they get tense, they get really nervous, and they watch everything they say, everything they do. And if they say the least little thing wrong, they apologize. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. Did I offend you? I'm sorry, I really didn't mean that. Now, you know why is that? Listen to me. The Bible says love's not easily offended, but you know what? Most Christians are. Most Christians are. It just, it, we just realize what we've not yet been established in. Amen. You know, it's amazing how Christians can't receive from anybody if they say something they disagree with. They just shut them down. I don't agree with that. I'm not going to listen to what he has to say. Amen. And so, you know, I didn't want to lie. And, and I found out this guy was a top comedian here in South Africa. He's got videos. He's got CDs. He's got commercials out. Very well-known comedian. But at the time, I didn't know who he was. And so, you know... You know, I had to tell him, you know, I was a missionary, I was a man of God, you know, and I was preaching God. And sure enough, I saw it. He got tense, he got nervous, you know, oh, you know, uh-oh. And I really felt bad because it was 7.30 in the morning and he just ordered a beer from the stewardess. So, you know, 7.30, he's ordered a beer and he finds out he's sitting with a preacher. And it was like he was sending Morse code messages with his eyes to the stewardess. Don't send me the beer, there's a preacher here. And I think she interpreted that meaning that, you know, he really needed the beer. So she kind of rushes down the aisle and she hands me the beer to give to him. Well, I just take it and pop it open and hand it to him and just smile. And he looks at me and I know for a moment of time, I know for just a short moment of time, he thought I turned his beer into water. And I didn't say anything to him about drinking a beer. At 7.30 in the morning. That's not the issue. That's not the issue. That's a symptom of a heart that's searching. And hasn't found peace and joy yet. That's all it is. Now some Christians would have thought it's an open door. Jumped on the guy. Pounced on the guy. Are you an alcoholic? You want me to cast the devil out of you? Yeah, 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 yeah. And the guy would have needed six more beers to survive the flight with you. The Bible says Jesus was a friend of sinners. He wasn't their enemy, he's a friend. Christians today are taught, come ye out from among them, be separate, touch not the unclean. Well, yeah, the scriptures are in there, but it's talking about the condition of your heart. The best friend a sinner could ever have is a Christian who knows the love and the mercy and the goodness of God. My wife and I, we, we were meditating on that verse of Scripture, you know, thinking about it. And the Lord spoke to me and said this. If sinners can't see you as their friend, then they can't see Jesus in you. Can't see Jesus in you. Amen. When the prodigal son came home, the father hugged him and kissed him before he repented. When sinners come into your presence, they ought to feel that same kind of love and acceptance. Because that's what helps encourage them that in their condition, there is still hope. 
See, if all we do is tell them that God loves them, but unwilling to demonstrate it in a tangible way, you'll never get them to believe it. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I've got two minutes. Two minutes. James says, The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. I wish preachers in America would understand that. I turn on Christian television in America, and it seems like preachers are mad, ing- angry, screaming, hollering. I mean, and they think they're preaching the gospel. How in the world can you preach good news and not smile? How? I can't figure it out. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Here's the example I like to use. You know, you can imagine a guy, you know, it's honeymoon night. I mean, you know, I mean, that's what he's been waiting for. That's what he's been dreaming of. You, you girls, you live for the wedding. Not us guys. We're thinking about the honeymoon. That's true. Ask a guy. Amen. That's why you can get us, you can dress us up in the stupidest outfit. We'll wear it. We'll wear it because we're not planning to wear it for long, if you know my name. This sucker's coming off. I ain't wearing nothing. That's why we'll agree to any kind of freaky, funky, weird dress you want to wear. Yeah, but, oh, I don't care. You know, yeah, that's fun. It'll just be, it'd be like a jigsaw puzzle. More fun for me to take it off. We're so, th- we're so thinking about the honeymoon, that's why we only have one line in the service. I do. Because you can't give us any more than that. Our mind's somewhere else. <laughs> Amen, hallelujah. You know what I'm talking about. Nothing wrong with sex. Oh, now it gets quiet. <laughs> The devil didn't come up with sex. God came up with sex. You wait. When I get to heaven, I'm going to go thank him. I'm going to tell you. Watch me. I'm going to go, Lord, I don't know how you came up with sex. Brilliant idea. I love it. You wait. Somebody asked me, is there sex in heaven? I don't know, but whatever is going to replace it, trust me, is going to be awful good. <laughs> but here's the guy. It's a honeymoon night. His bride comes out with something slinky and sexy and all that. And what happens if he yells at her? Hey, woman, get into bed now! Get into bed now! I'm going to do something good to you! She's running out the door. How can you fall in love with somebody who's yelling at you? Amen. Paul said this. I'm over time. Give me 30 seconds. I promise I'll finish. Paul said, if your heart's established in law or legalism, the law will speak to you. Now, the law can only tell you one thing. Only one thing. Only one thing. That you are guilty. That's all it can tell you. It can't deliver you. can't set you free. It tells you you're guilty and the only way it can get you to keep the law is to threaten you with punishment. You don't believe me. You get on the highway and you drive. I don't care how fast you're going. When you see a traffic cop, what do you do? I mean, you slow down. You might not even be speeding, but you'll hit the brake. Why? When you saw the law, it made you feel guilty. 
Am I right? Amen. I'm going to tell you right now. You don't understand conditional love and mercy and grace. You will always feel guilty and you will always disqualify yourself from God helping you. And you will not see the opportunities He's presented to deliver you and set you free. Amen? Hallelujah. God bless you. Praise God. Well, that was good preaching and good teaching. Amen? Please, nobody's to get up at this point in time. It's our privilege. We are going to, get, we're going to sow into evangelist Ed Elliott's ministry. So we're faithful stewards and we're big givers at Family Harvest Church. So pastors and deacons, if you would please um, take up the offering right now. If you'd receive the offering for um, evangelist Ed Elliott. And they're going to play for us. Just before they start, I'd just like to mention that Nassau Siddiqui, that video that you watched earlier on, he is going to be in the service in two weeks' time. He's going to be taking the meetings. That's why we showed you the video. So be sure to be here and invite your friends and family. Amen? Thank you very much. Amen. Isn't God good? You know, I just want to bring your attention real quick. I've got a, a, a table right, right back there with a, a lot of series. All my series deal in, in areas of the love, the goodness, the mercy, the grace of God. So please make yourself available to that. You know, because you're not going to get the impact of this message just once. Faith comes by hearing good news 
over and over and over. Paul wrote Titus and said, you insist upon this message of God's goodness. Insist. Amen. The Bible says the Lord is good. It's not just what He does, it's who He is. It's who He is. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. You will never ever be able to have a trusting relationship with God until you are convinced He is a good God. Not just to me or pastor. Not, not sometimes. You've got to be convinced He's good to you all the time. All the time. Amen. So make yourself available to that. Feed off of it. Feed off of it. It'll change and transform your life. Transform your heart. You know, I tell you, God put this message on my heart a number of years ago. And I've been traveling around preaching it to different degrees and understandings. And, and you know, let me show you how good God is. I was, I was preaching in Tulsa, Oklahoma in a Bible school. And there was a Russian couple there. And this message changed and transformed their lives. They took all of my tapes. They translated all of my series into Russian. They have access to every Pentecostal church and Baptist church throughout Russia. They have sent all my series to every Pentecostal and Baptist church in Russia. They said the Russians have this view that God is angry, that God is going to get you. It's changing and transforming. Another young man heard me preach this, got all my series, translated them into Chinese. And from Thailand, he's smuggling them into China. And I sit there, and be honest with you, I almost feel backslid. Because I'm not really doing much except loving folk. And this message is going everywhere. Why is it? Well, the Bible says the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. What is the glory? All glory is... See, some people think glory is the cloud. No, that's glaucoma. Glory is God's goodness. Remember Moses said, show me your glory, and God showed him all his goodness. The Bible says we go from glory to glory. Do you notice that eat waves of God is to bring greater revelations of how good he is to us? And the next level, and the next level. Amen. Would you all bow your head and close your eyes for just a minute? I'm going to ask every person in here the most important question anybody will ever ask you. If you are here this morning and you've not yet made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, you've not yet received the free gift of salvation, you've heard a little bit about the gospel this morning, that He loves you, He accepts you just as you are. You can feel this love in your heart. You can allow God to treat you better than you can deserve. You can know that God is not against you, He's for you. He's your friend. You might have thought you were your enemy, but God loves His enemies and He loves you. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this morning you will bring such joy to the heart of your Father and heaven will rejoice. If you've not been saved, very quickly, very quietly, slip up your hand wherever you are so, so we can pray for you this morning. Quickly, quietly, wherever you are. Hold it up, hold it up, hold it up if you've not made that decision yet. If you've not been saved. Quickly, quietly. Anybody, anybody. Don't want to miss anybody. Not been saved yet. Hold, hold it up. Amen. If you're here this morning, you say, Brother Ed, I am a child of God, but I feel like the prodigal son, prodigal daughter. But I realize this morning I can come home. And I can be restored. I can be forgiven. And I can have everything I lost returned to me. And I can feel the love of my Father. If that's how you feel and that's, that's the way you have felt, sweet, well, raise your hand right now so we can minister to you and pray for you. Amen. Anybody at all? Thank you. Right over there. Amen. Anybody at all? Hold it up, hold it up high. Hold it up high. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, there's going to be a usher or counselor is going to come. He's going to put his hand on your shoulder. He's going to take you to a place of prayer in just a moment and love you and minister to you and pray for you. You are beloved. Amen. I'm going to pray for you before we close. Father, thank you for this wonderful opportunity. Thank you, Father, that seed has been sown in the hearts of your people, seeds of love.
Thank you, Father, that they'll begin to feel and experience the love that you have for, for them. And, Father, they'll demonstrate and share that love with the people they come in contact with in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you all. Praise God. Let's all raise our hands to heaven and let's confess this together, shall we? Father, we thank you for your love.